Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to one of the 10 best English-language Fiorentina podcasts on the internet. Welcome to Viola Station. Welcome back, Viola fans, and I'm sure by now that you've got your fill of Juve sitting through a 30 minutes of that. We wanted to give back to you guys, so what better than everybody's favorite session? Reader feedback and question day, Tito. I haven't seen the list yet, but you know there's always some doozies. You ready? You're, you're you're saying that you did not make the list and check it twice as per the seasonal requirements? Well, Uh-oh. that's not my job. I mean, I do have a beard. I, I am a little bit overweight. Um, I do fit a lot of those categories, but nope, nope, de- definitely didn't do that. That takes a little I mean, extra work that I'm 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 ready to do these days. Uh, to quote Bart Simpson, uh, there's only one fat guy who brings us presents, and his name ain't Santa. We uh, should quote him a little bit more, shouldn't we? I feel like we should. Yeah, well, I mean, tell me how my shorts taste. And uh, also, Mike, tell me what you're drinking today. Ooh, it is oh, back to really a normal. It, it is back to a normal hour for us from, from a recording standpoint. You know, sometimes we've been recording a little bit early, a little bit late, but this is four o'clock. You know, we've been at it for about an hour here today. So, yes, it is uh, wine time. So it's a uh, nice, super Tuscan, ready to go. Something that uh, I, I traditionally break out when I have some wine rookies over the house. And maybe I don't want to go all the way bold to a Brunello. Maybe even a Chianti Classico Reserva is a little bit much for them. So uh, it, it's a nice, rounded out, Pretty easy nice. on the palate. No, it's just a, a nice uh, super Tuscan here, but very rounded, polished, easy to easy to drink. That sounds pretty nice. I will. Uh, that sounds like you, something that's probably drinking? appropriate for me. Uh, I've it's got, one o'clock. It's one it's, o'clock. Yeah, it's one o'clock over here. So I am not just drinking water, which is nice. I've got the Prem uh, Prem P F R I E M Winter Ale uh pretty dang nice uh if you're into a winter ale kind of uh almost like a belgian triple taste to it but it's Ooh, definitely not okay. that style uh but got kind of that orange peel and okay. uh yeah uh my wife gave it the uh the thumbs up of oh that's not bad when she tried it so if you want that ringing endorsement there you go <laughs> pretty fine all right man well let's uh Let's go ahead and jump into some reader questions here. And I think we all know what that means, right? It's time to get everyone's favorite or possibly second favorite Mike back on the microphone. Producer Mike, what's up, man? How's it going, guys? I mean, halfway through a beer, so I'm doing great. How are you? You know, hanging in there a little less lubed up than the two of you. But I'm sure that's It's just all the more fun. Still hey, we saw you working on that applesauce. We know how you, we know that we know how you're doing. Go ahead and uh, well, yeah, man, go ahead and get us started. What you got for us? Starting off, we got Nikki Nutella, who asked thoughts on Amrabat from the World Cup. Should Fiorentina sell him and Nico and reinvest? Hmm. Huh? Tell you what, I'll start here. 
and uh, at least give us a jumping off point. I feel like we've talked in the past few weeks about uh, Nico Gonzalez and Sofia Namrabat quite a bit. Uh, just I'm just going to do a quick recap here. And uh, McMike, you can jump in and edit, editorialize as necessary. Uh, but I think that we both agreed that, you know, having Nico miss the World Cup means that he just doesn't have enough transfer value right now to be worth selling. There's no way to turn a profit on him or bring in anything remotely resembling a, a player of equivalent talent or value. So he's probably going to stick around, uh, even if things might get a little bit awkward after, uh, with the management who, you know, Joe Brown accused him of sandbagging, basically, when the guy was actually hurt. And uh, despite all those photos of their yeah, lovely dinner afterwards, yep. which I'm sure repaired all of those uh, smoldering bridges. Um I would assume they did. God, can you imagine the nerve that would take to bring Nico out for dinner and then be like, oh, I left my wallet. Do you mind? Uh, do you mind or, uh... or Dutch. I mean, even Dutch. I mean, at that point. <laughs> oh, God. Can you imagine? Um, and then with Amarbot, we talked about this last week also. I mean, obviously, I, I think that he deserves the, the golden ball from the World Cup. I think he's been the best mm-hmm. player there by a. Uh, by a fair amount. Uh, and I think, I mean, he's been better for Morocco than he has been for Fiorentina, I would say, but not by that much. I think he's been incredible with the viola and uh, has, has really been the backbone of this team and the best player this year. And uh, probably the only reason they're in uh, not flirting with relegation, if I'm honest. Uh, but same thing. Uh, I mean, we talked about this uh couple weeks ago now, I think, you know, you could probably sell Amrabat for 40, 50 mil, realistically. Well, well what are you going to do with the money? We haven't seen the reinvestment, really, from Giesa and Vlaovic. Uh, so to me, why bother selling him if you're not going to get equivalent value, uh, both financial and on the field back? Does that Does that feel like it about sums up where you are with these? Well, I agree. Both of these come down to if you're going to sell them, can you get somebody of equal or better value? Because we can't keep cutting our talent in each and every area. We've already done it already on the wing. We've already done it at striker. Um, thankfully, we were able to keep Milankovic. But you know, using Amrabat as uh, as the next guy that we kind of bounce out for a profit it really seems um, disingenuous, uh, I think is the word that I'll use, especially since he was Rocco's guy. Now, Rocco sat there in the stadium, told Prade, that's the guy I want, go get him, and, and spent a, a, a healthy chunk of money. And I would say also this, you know, from an Amrabat standpoint, you know, he he is a really good, borderline great player right now. But I would also say Fiorentina have not even had a year of great performance from him, right? So why, if we're going to have this great talent that comes through the city of Florence, why do we always get rid of it when they get good? I I think the years passed, uh, and and I saw the comment, you know, the difference between Cechi Gori and, and everybody since is that he was able to keep some of that talent, whether you take a look at all the financial ramifications or not. Uh, it, it definitely is one of those things where you have to take a look at it from a fan standpoint. What are you buying into? Now, Nico's a different situation because I agree with you. I think that you're probably in that 40 to 50 range for, for Amrabat. Um you know, a lot of the teams that are looking at him definitely can afford that. But with Nico, it's the opposite. That was a another, you know, let's go back through the course of time and how many transfers Fiorentina has mismanaged. Drongovsky, you know, probably could have been sold for $10 million had we sold him at the right time. Instead, we held him. He sat on the bench. We decreased his value and we got peanuts. The, the public display of of attack that was done was unnecessary, uncalled for, but it was. It was a, a de- declaration of war at that point, you know. But One was basically saying, 
here he goes. You know, this is this is my call to the fans saying we will be selling him after a glorious World Cup. And the reason why I'm stating it today and, and you guys can't be mad at me later because, you know, he don't want to play for us. He's going to the World Cup. After you do that, that publicly, it's hard to go back. And you, and you reference the, the, the dinner that they had, the picture that was taken, the amount of social media that was done on it. I, I don't see him being sold at this point. Um, I mean, we, we paid a pretty penny for him. Is he going to be healthy enough this year? I mean, that's the hard thing. You know, is he somebody that should come back and play right away? Or is he somebody that also needs to kind of maybe sit a little bit longer to get fully healthy? which means you're still not going to get a lot of performance out of him. So I don't even know if he can sell them in, in June at that point. It, it's, it's tricky. It's tricky. But the good news is there's still a lot of budget out there from the sales that we've had before that we have not spent. So we may still have some hey Mike, Christmas presents underneath the tree. Brand spanking new Centro Sportivo. And no new players. Ooh, okay, goodbye. Uh, yes, hey, yes, yes. Next question. And, and... <laughs> Seafrog wants to know, can we make the Champions League again, and what has to happen? Then follow-up question, you could keep one player on the current roster, who would it be? What, what timelines, Tito? I, I, so, since there's no timelines put in here, do we want to say this year? Do we want to answer this in, in stages this year? Which is no. Which Boy. is no. <laughs> um, right? Do we agree on that? Yeah. Uh, you're, All right. Yeah, you're correct there. I mean, next. Short like, term? Short Two, two, three years. I think two, three years. I don't think we are either. No, probably not. No, just the finance. The finances don't add up for that. Like, I don't think Fiorentina has the financial power to bring in enough players to do that. Yeah, and and I don't think that there's enough of an investment being made or reinvestment. I mean, even if we were back in the days of of uh, self financing, which was under the Della Valle, we would probably see another sixty million euros of players on this team right now. So. It, it, it's tough to to see uh, enough of a reinvestment being done to to do that. Um, so I think we hit this year over the next two to three years. How about how about this question underneath uh, Rocco? Do you think that we'll be able to get back to the Champions League? Oh boy, I don't know if that's entirely in Fiorentina's control. Uh, I mean, I think if we end up seeing something like the European Super League get launched and the Champions League becomes like a, a essentially the Conference League. Uh, on, on the world stage, then yeah, absolutely. I think Fiorentina can get there. Uh, if we're assuming that the league structure and the Champions League structure remain constant, I don't really think so. I think that financial gap is just too much. Uh, I don't think we've seen enough growth in this club over the past, what's yep. been three seasons uh, under under Rocco to for me to be willing to extrapolate a, a Champions League qualification at any point. I, that just, you know, there there have been too many missteps. We've all talked about them. We don't have to go back over them. I'm not saying that this new regime hasn't done some yeah. things really well, which they and absolutely And you mentioned the Centro Sportivo. That's like, going to be I'm a not, phenomenal addition. But it doesn't it score goals. Like, I'm, I'm not trying to take yeah. pot shots. But, like, you know, look at the teams who are competing for the Champions League. They all spend way more on salary. They all spend a lot more on transfers. They've all got... Hmm. I would say just much better ecosystems for talent evaluation, both on the field and in the boardroom and uh, throughout the organization than Fiorentina does right yeah. now. Again, that can change. I mean, is, is the the Comiso regime gains experience? Maybe that institutional knowledge builds and grows and they can really uh, uh, get something going from that. But right now, I don't, I just don't see it. Uh, are, are you about to convince me otherwise? No, no, no. And, and I think you hit the one area that I just want to dive a little bit deeper on why it is a no for me. It, it's a no for this year. It's a no two to three years. And it's a no afterwards. The the no afterwards comes down to the Primavera. You know, I, I think we have good talent that's coming through the Primavera, but we no longer have world-class talent. It takes world-class talent coming up through the Primavera in order to get you to uh, the Champions League, when you're not investing. I don't see world-class talent. Uh, I don't see a Chiesa. I don't see a Vlahovic coming through there. I see a a, a bunch of um, Gaetano Castrovillis. 
Well, first of all, that's not a bad thing at all. Uh, I mean, also, the Primavera won, you know, 18 straight Coppa Italia. Like, clearly, there's a lot of talent in the in the pipeline there. I good would talent. Say. Very good talent. But I, not world class. I think for me, also, like, that's one way you can run that, right? Like, if you have a an academy that produces first-team caliber talent consistently, then you just buy a couple of superstars to put on top of that. Alternatively, if you are lucky enough to produce a superstar, then you can buy talent to put around that and keep... I mean, I, I don't think there's one correct way to, to run that, I guess is what I'm saying. Uh, yeah, I, I just don't see it happening either way, to be honest. No, that's, that's, I mean, I, I think the Primavera is doing fine. And I would, I would argue right now there is one potentially genuinely world-class guy in there i'm super excited about uh martinelli the goalkeeper Bianco? Uh, martinelli the goalkeeper oh, okay 16 he okay. just got called up by mancini to the national team training camp to get a look at him he's 16 i mean i know that so i know that this was a, so then that puts us at seven to eight years out if that's the world-class talent coming through the primavera as a 16 year old goalkeeper i mean if he's if Hey, if Mancini's already looking at him, and I, I know that this training camp was all guys who were like 22 and younger, like, right? Like, let's not yeah. pretend, but like, I think he might have been the youngest player there. Like, that's that is a world class talent, potentially. I mean, also, he's 16. Who knows what happens? Maybe he gets tired of playing soccer yeah. and wants to be an insurance salesman instead. Like, he's 16. Anything could happen. But right now, he looks well, like he, that kind of he player. He would have to move over to the u.s um not much insurance i mean you know social insurance oh country in, in italy okay that's fair that's fair but yeah no I, yeah. I think the i think there's talent in that pipeline i mean yeah you mentioned bianco talent i know that your boy uh sammy Spaluto's around uh mm -hmm. elion tocci looks like he's doing well uh de stefano agostinelli uh Amatucci's looks pretty do, good do in the friendlies. See, I think do there's you see another players. Chiesa, Vlahovic coming through there? Well, Vlahovic didn't really come through the academy. He, he came up in Serbia. He, he had two years there. Yeah, he uh, had back two years. And forth. I'm not, I, I don't feel super comfortable saying that he's a, an academy product. Chiesa is for sure. I don't see another, another winger like that. But, I mean, also, who knows? Maybe, maybe De Stefano takes that step this year. Who knows? Who knows? I mean, would love to see it. Oh, boy, love to see it. Too. yeah. Would love for them to prove me wrong. I'll tell you what, man. So that's why I go no. All right, that's fair. Yeah, no, I I mean, I still go no. We agree on that for sure. But mm -hmm. uh, I'll tell you what, man, let's turn to the second part of that question. Uh, if you could keep one player currently on Fiorentina's roster, who you got? Uh, short term? Has to be Amrabat, right? Short term has to be Amrabat. I, I mean, there's, uh, no, so there's no time constraint on the question, so I say you can you can take it however you want. Yeah, I, I would I would have to say that it's going to be Amrabat at this point, um, unless that, and I give this caveat. So here's my caveat: unless somebody tables 55, 60 million, somebody tables 55, 60 million. I mean that you have a chance to go and buy three Amrabats, and uh, you know, hopefully that you, you luck out on, on one of those based off of our recent buying performance. But I'll go with Amrabat. Who do you got? Uh, I'm I'm actually looking at it a little bit differently. I'm saying Ricky Sotil. I think that in terms of just sheer potential, mm. he might be the highest ceiling player. I mean, again, I'm not saying he's the best player currently on the roster. I'm not saying he's ever going to be the best player currently on the roster. But I think his combination of just sheer athleticism and the uh, we talked about this, I think, uh, a week or two ago, and just the growth curve we've seen from him from, uh, you know, Primavera standout to extremely raw attacker to this year. He's suddenly stringing together passes, putting good shots in. His movement looks great off the ball. If he can keep growing like that, I think that he's the kind of player you can build around. Uh, also, he is so outrageously handsome. I think that is <laughs> really important for a team. Uh, he also changes his haircut up regularly, which I like. I, I like guys who are willing to do that. Uh, I think uh, close behind Ricky, I, I had three other guys. Uh, Amrabat was one of them. Uh, Nikola Milenkovic and Gaetano Castrovilli mm -hmm. are the other two. Uh, I think that... Wow. Yeah, no, I mean, I, mean, I think wow. Amrabat is... I mean, because he's a little bit older. And I also worry about guys who's just... Their their 
lung power basically is such a big part of their game. I always worry about those guys not aging as well. I mean, you know, I, I mean, I say this is someone who's obviously not a professional athlete and is a little bit older than Sofia Nomer, but I sure can't run like I used to. Uh, and then Nikola Milenkovic, I think having a, a foundational piece at the back. Makes sense. Yeah, every team needs a top class the, defender. The last one, I'm I'm curious. I'm curious about the last one. Uh, I think Costravilli, if he can uh, recapture some of his form that he had right before he got hurt last year and blew out his ACL uh, that he was showing under Italiano, he was really starting to emerge and look like a, an absolute force. I think if he can get back to that level, he is a an unbelievably good player. Uh, in a in a position of incredible value as a central midfielder who can dribble, who can pass, and who also does a lot of defensive work so you don't have to, like, build a system around him. I mean, I think that's sort of what we've seen in for the World Cup final, right? Like, the two best players, mm-hmm. uh, Messi and Mbappe, are also the two players who do the least out of possession. I mean, the both of their teams have basically built systems around them being able to just sort of chill without the ball and save their energy. A guy like Castrovilli, obviously he's not at the level of Messi or Mbappe, but he can do all that stuff. And he can also track back, win the ball, tackle, press. He can do all those things. And I think that having a guy who can do so many different things in midfield and do them well is, uh, is, is just a thing that, any manager can use. So I'm I'm a huge Costravilli fan, provided he can recapture that form, which again, after a major injury, who knows? Yeah, I I wish I was as high as you are on Castrovilli. And and I, I I don't think I realized that you were that high on him coming out of this injury. Huh. Um, I mean not immediately. I would it say might, if I it had... might take him a year, it might take him a year and a half, it might take him two years to recover. I mean, look what happened to Chris Kwame. Similarly explosive player. Blows out a knee, and it took him a long time to get back to to where he was before the injury. So I think with guys like that, you really have to take a longer view and not expect an immediate resumption of that uh the way that they were right before. It takes time for your body to heal all the way, and for your brain to trust your body to do that stuff in a game situation. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I get it. Yeah, if I had three, I, I would, I would put Milankovic second and, and I would actually move Kwame up there. Ooh, uh, I, I think you're that. the past year, the past year uh, has convinced me both you um, talking about him and, and bringing him back. I mean, you, you stayed by him day after day and his performances this year, and maybe, maybe they dropped off a little bit, you know, the second half of the first season, but you know, we talk about um, Amrabat being in relegation battles. I, I think the same thing with Kwame. If Kawame wasn't there playing the way he did, I, I think we probably have a good nine points less than we we currently do. Maybe maybe six to nine points. So uh, probably be out of the uh, conference league at least. That's for sure. Yeah, uh, leading yeah, leading no assist maker in the conference league this year, Chris Kawame. Yeah, uh, whoever had that on their bingo card, I feel like you basically win bingo because no one else would have put it there. <laughs> I, I think I think you would have. You know, give yourself credit there. I think you oh, I love Kawame. I don't know if I would have gone that gone that crazy. Uh, tell you what, uh, producer Mike, what, uh, what we got next? TJW go blue. Let's say in an alternate timeline, the European super league started and we saw a realignment similar to what college football is experiencing where geography is no longer in serious consideration. What clubs would Fiorentina pair with to create a league? So the way that I'm reading this and, uh, Mike, correct me if I'm wrong, is that, uh, who are the other ultra hipster clubs, right? Because that's that's what Fiorentina is. I mean, we could talk about like a Europa League level, Conference League level, mid-table, whatever. Spiritually, what Fiorentina is, is a hipster club. And so for me, I've, I've got, I'll, I'll, I'll list out about five other hipster clubs for you. But does, I mean, does that seem fair to you? That works for me, but I may take it in a different direction. Oh, no, no, we can but do I this. I want to see you run down here. Let's go for it. All right, yeah. So I guess my uh, my just, you know, five five clubs that I think are about the same hipster tier as uh, as Fiorentina. 
I'm going to say Shakhtar Donetsk, uh, just because you get sort of that, uh, like that almost like pre-90s uh, Eastern European mystery. Like in, in Western Europe, I feel like in the Champions League every year, you'd get like a Trevenos Vesda or like a Stoya Bucharesti, like coming out and no one has ever seen them. No one knows who any of these players are. And no one knows if they're actually any good. And then they end up winning the dang Champions League because they're fantastic. And I mean, you know, in the age of uh, the internet and social media and Twitter for probably like five more minutes, uh, that that kind of mystery doesn't exist. I feel like Shakhtar is about the closest you get. Extra hipster points for uh, basically being displaced and I, I mean, this part is not actually very funny, but from being displaced from Donetsk for the past several years because Russia yep. is, War. yeah, invading the country, which is uh, real fucked up. Let's go ahead and take a strong position there. Yeah. yeah? yeah uh, terrorism is never yeah, good. No. Uh, also, getting back to the slightly fun stuff, the fact that they've got a full on Brazilian colony in that team i feel like that's a good hipster club they also wear orange which is sort of hilarious like very few teams wear orange and that's always kind of fun uh after that i'll add athletic bilbao i mean i feel like basques are always kind of a hipster pick i mean like a hipster language group what's this central asian linguistic route doing in the middle of the mountains in spain and france that just doesn't make any sense. Like they, you got to be so different. Okay, sure. But then also they only use local players and they compete at a high level. Uh, had Marcelo Bielsa, who's the ultimate hipster guy. I think athletic Bilbao definitely deserves a spot in the, uh, in the hipster league. Uh, I'm going to add Deportivo Huanca, a second division Peruvian club, uh, strictly because, uh, Obviously, you don't hear this from me. I'm from Texas. Accent doesn't quite work out the same way. But if you're British or you can imagine a British person saying it, just just think Deportivo Banca. And it's very, very funny. Uh, after that, I think obviously you got to go St. Pauli, you know, the punk rock uh, quasi-anarchist club that has no real interest in uh, actually winning if it means they have to raise ticket prices or uh you know compromise morals they fired a player for posting uh like far right political content a few years ago and they're just they're lovely go go look them up uh these football times has a great podcast on them just so much good saint Pauli content out there and finally i'll go uh dulwich hamlet who i think they're in the vanarama league now they're a semi-professional team in england a little bit outside of London. They wear pink and blue, which is delightful. They get yeah. like 3,000 fans per game. Uh, but they've been real uh, outspoken about like anti-homophobia, anti-discrimination initiatives throughout the club. And uh, they're very popular with people who like wearing big scarves and smoking uh, long thin cigarettes. And so I think you got to include them. So that I think that Fiorentina would fit so, into that. Sounds more, sounds more beatnik than than hipster, though. I mean, hipster is, that is legitimately a beatnik term. That's where it comes from. I'm just saying, so, okay. Yeah. Right. So you so see, like, a step further into beatnik with that last oh, one Oh, yeah, there. no, it's it's just recursive all the way down. Don't you know anything okay. about hipsters, Mike? I worry about you sometimes. But uh, yeah. uh, Well, I, I, I feel like between you and my wife, I, I learn lots of each and every day. Right. Well, then, in that case, since you've got this uh, this excellent, excellent background, and who you got for your... Uh, your five clubs there. So again, I'm going to, I'm going to take it a little bit different approach here. My approach is four clubs that I would love to travel to as far as the area. And, and then a, a team that I, I enjoy watching just because everybody else hates them. Love this. Very um, hipster already. So let's start with that one. Yeah. So, so Leeds United is, is one of those clubs. I mean, they are so embattled over the past 20 plus years relegation relegation new owner new owner bankruptcy bankruptcy and and their fans show up 25 40,000 50,000 each and every game um love what they do they their their history is as long as it comes 
stadium is old and, and nostalgic. So, I mean, that that is one of those that has to be there. And any team that hates Man U as much as I do, they, they have hey, my respect. And you got that Bielsa connection. <laughs> yep, yep, there you go. So, all right. Now I'm going to go a little bit veering off towards uh, some of the traveling. So I'm going to start with, I mean, who doesn't want to go to the south of France? I'm going to go with Monaco. Um, you know, they, they do have a, a big budget, so they would clearly beat Fiorentina very likely. Uh, so maybe we want to, you know, find another team, but Monaco is definitely there as far as travel wise. So Monaco, Valencia, getting over to Spain again, rounding it out a little bit, getting a nice little culture here, some different food. I feel like it's going to be a really nice trip over there. Warmer weather. I'm feeling good here. Um, on my bucket list, so anytime, if, if I ever do decide not to go to Florence and still travel to Europe, my bucket list next up is Vienna. So I'm going Austria, Wien. Not, not rapid, Wien. Austria, Wien. You're not a, a rapid Austria, kind of guy? Uh, I, I could be either as long as uh, somebody's going to be taking me out to the, uh, uh, you know, the Philharmonic and the orchestra afterwards. We're going to be going and having a little bit of... A little bit of food, a little bit of wine, a little bit of music, and, and I'm happy. So take me to Vienna. Uh, I'm there for any of those clubs. Get me one of them right, into the so, league. So nothing but Gewürztraminer and Vienna sausages. Love that. Oh, and 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 wine. Well, yeah, the Gewürztraminer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I will. Ah, that that's that's the white wine over there, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I actually think it's great. I really like the the super minerally whites right now. Is that is that a is that a uh, sweet wine or is that a dry it's wine? A is that like a Riesling? Side, yeah, dry. Good. Okay. Uh, well, well, hey everyone, welcome to uh, White Wine Station with uh, Mike and Tito. <laughs> White Wine Station. I mean, I'm still learning. Hey. And then and then rounding it out, we're going up to the Netherlands. So Sparta, Rotterdam. Uh, Rotterdam seems like a great area. Uh, would love to go there. And uh, again, seems like great food, great people, great, great drink. So that, that's my list. I, I'm just keeping it simple as far as where I want to travel. I feel like that's a good hipster, like bo like bohemian style. No, I'll allow that. I feel mm -hmm. like we're more or less uh, uh, approaching this. In we're, we're more alike than we realize. We're not so different, you and I. Uh, <laughs> I will say, too, with the with the whole Super League thing, when we started doing this, I actually did think about this probably more how uh tjw go blue uh intended the question if i'm honest which was you know like what are the like vaguely equivalent clubs to uh fiorentina around europe which, which is like an interesting question sorry that we kind of uh hijacked that for our own purposes there uh we could we can uh try that again at a, at a later date but it did get me thinking a lot too i'm so I'm just gonna go a little bit, little bit rogue here. Sorry about this, Mike. Uh, about like, what, what's the point of Fiorentina? Because like, you know, all these super league teams, these are the ones that might actually win uh, their domestic leagues. These are the big money teams, uh, and frankly, the teams that I find just indescribably boring most of the time. I mean, I've I've talked about this on this podcast. I've talked about this in a bunch of different places. I've written about it. Uh, the Champions League, I just find deadly dull most of the time, for example, because it's the same few teams. They all play more or less the same style, and that that's boring to me. And then also, like, the, the discourse that comes with that, you know, you get these incredibly toxic fan bases online who, like, equate winning with, like, personal success, and, like, all they care about is being able to, like, dunk on someone on twitter and that's it's just so tiresome it like it, it's like it's like having to deal with a bunch of fourth graders back when i used to teach and i there's a reason i don't do that anymore because i hated it uh and I, I just don't want any piece of that i think that's so boring i think it's also incredibly reductive you know seria a for example there's 19 teams every year that don't win does that mean that none of them matter does that mean that it's not worth watching them I mean, look, look at the World Cup. You know, uh, Morocco just lost the uh, the third place game. They're not even on the podium. Effectively, they accomplished nothing this World Cup. They don't have a medal. They have nothing to show for it. 
also, when we look back on this tournament in 40 years, Morocco is going to be the team that everyone remembers and loves. They're everyone's favorite international team right now. They didn't win. That's what makes the game interesting. You want these teams that do quirky things, that play like an insanely deep block and knock out the Giants and do things tactically that are fascinating and different. That's what we're here for. I mean, obviously, this is my bias as a Fiorentina fan because Fiorentina is never going to win anything, as we have discussed. But I do think like if you're watching the if you're watching this sport, you're doing it to be entertained. And to me, watching like every player take a perfect touch and do a perfect thing like it's like a Manchester City, like a perfect clockwork. It's interesting for a little bit, but after a certain point, it's it's kind of boring because you know what's going to happen. They're always going to get it right. I want to see people mess up and I want to see teams scramble and try to figure out, oh, God, how do we repair what we just ruined? That's what's interesting. That's what's entertaining. And so I don't know, man. Like, I, again, I know. Sorry, TJ. W go blue. This is not at all part of your question. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I just wanted to take this opportunity here uh, as we hit this holiday season and talk about gifts. Like one of the things that keeps me coming back to Fiorentina, I think, and as we're talking about hipster clubs and all that, is that this is such an imperfect team and that they get things wrong constantly. And watching them still try to overcome their own flaws is to me like narratively and emotionally just so much more fulfilling than like watching some super club that's you know one of eight that can win the champions league and one of three that can win their domestic league do that again man i just couldn't care less i really couldn't like give me the weird stuff i think that's what we're all about here but keep in mind that those original uh, Cesare Panandelli teams, they were also fun to watch. Oh, God. And they also had their things they needed to get right. And they also had their things that they did wrong. So, so we can still take a successful Fiorentina and find them interesting. They don't have to just be relegation battle at Fiorentina, right? <laughs> no, that, that, very reasonable. Very reasonable. Yeah. yeah but I, yes. I, I guess what I'm saying is like this whole discourse of like, I mean, I'm guilty of this too. Like I play football manager and I turn, I want to turn Fiorentina into like win every champions league team, but yep. you know, realistically is that's, that's not what's ever going to happen. And it'd be really boring if it did to watch if Fiorentina just won every game, I, I, I would lose interest. I, I want them to be good, but I don't want them to be perfect. I guess is what I'm the saying. The first year would be really amazing though. Yeah. That first yeah, year would be absolutely would be pretty amazing. Cool. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. But yeah. but yeah, beyond that, eh. I mean, there, there's a reason why they keep going back to that Arsenal team, the unbeatens, because Arsenal's been been shit ever since. Um, but but it is amazing to be you know one of those unbeaten clubs too. Uh, I'll I'll just you know draw a couple um, um, similarities here uh, to what you were saying. I'll go back to last year with Venezia, right? Everybody loved Venezia because what made Venezia Venezia the you know, you, you turned on a game and you saw their unique approach to the stadium. You know, Juve was playing there and Juve took the gondola ride from the hotel over to the stadium. Where else do you get that? You know, all of a sudden, everybody became a Venezia fan. The jerseys that they had are quite possibly some of the most beautiful jerseys that you will ever see in your life. Everybody became a Venezia fan. Uh, and, and then you just talk about, you know, some of the struggles that they've gone through over the years as well. I mean, you know, they were very, very endearing. Uh, and and C.S. Lebowski, you know, when you go into Florence, like who would have ever thought that an amateur club would get so much attention as C.S. Lebowski? But sometimes I think it is some of the crazy things that we deal with as Fiorentina fans that draws a lot of people to want to go over there and, and see C.S. Lebowski. Um, but I, I, I certainly understand it's the nuance, it's the uniqueness, it's it's the struggle. You know, maybe it's the the Philadelphia guy, me, the Rocky guy. Um, but but you do need to have that um, the adversity that you overcome, so it makes it a little bit easier. No, I, I think that's so. Hey, thanks for asking all of those questions, uh, TJW Coblu. Really appreciate you uh, you letting us uh, do that. Well, what what you got next for us, producer Mike? And we'll, I swear we'll stay a little more on topic. 
Gabby B wants to know, is Rocco keeping a lower profile to avoid controversy or is there just less pressure now that the team is doing a little better? I'm, Both, I'm turning this right? over to our yes foremost yes. rockologist. What you got, Mike? <laughs> no, not anymore. Not anymore. <laughs> um, yeah. uh, I, I think it's yes and yes. I, I think uh, Rocco ha- has seen what happens when he has been um, front and, and center of the spotlight. Uh, no matter if they were doing well or if they were doing poorly, the, the narrative was always the same. And we don't have to go into it. You know, everybody knows the narrative of his press conferences or, or the scheduled uh, TV interviews that he's done. Uh, th- there was never any variance. It, it, it was, you know, as if he was running for political office and, and he had his points that he wanted to get across and that was it. So I, I think it was uh, first and foremost, partly because of that. But I would also say, you know, having been over in Florence and, and hearing a little bit more about his health, you know, it's unfortunate that he has gone through um, some, some really tough times. And, and I think that, you know, just the stress uh, is, is not something that he probably wants to be dealing with at this point either. And if you're one of the world's richest men, one of the world, world's most successful men, and no matter what a Fiorentina fan thinks about him running this club, nobody can take away the success that he's had as a businessman and building companies and, and, and so on and so forth. Um, if you're that successful, that wealthy, do you really want to be dealing with the stress now? You know, so he pays people to do those. And I, I think at this point he's been through the ups, you know, when he came in, he had that, the, the, the uh, meeting with all the fans at the stadium, he was kissing, you know, babies and, and shaking hands and, and doing everything as far as selfies then he had the lull, you know, uh, the the negativity online, the media, the the banners, the the shameful uh, displays of of Rocco being a clown. I mean, it was unfortunate. Um, so I, I think that it's part purposeful and and learning from it, but I think it's also just, you know, I think he's been through a lot personally uh, from his health standpoint. And, and that is the priority for him, as it should be. And I think that a lot of fans, as they're complaining, again, these decisions aren't Rocco's. Is it his decision to keep some of these people there? Yes. But keep those things in mind. Um, yeah, he's, he's gone through a lot. He really has. Yeah, all, all I'm going to add to that is, uh, yeah, I hope that he, uh, his health remains good. Uh, I'm not super upset that he's uh, kind of receded a little bit. Uh, especially yeah. if it means he's not going to be, uh, you know, saying mean things about uh, my friends in press conferences, real, real into him not doing that. Uh, so, yeah. you know, if, yeah, I, I think this is a, a, a tremendous improvement in a lot of ways. Yeah, no, I, I agree. few questions from Hasanka here. First, where's Krastev? Second, what's your favorite Hanukkah candle? And third, will we ever see our lost budget? Uh, I'll tell you what. I'll 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 start us off here with that first one. Crosstown's uh, with the Primavera, dude. Where he's supposed to be. I mean, he's been uh, really good for him. Let's not forget he just switched to playing center back. I, he hadn't even been a full time defender for what eight months now, six months. So he's probably not ready for the first team. Uh, that said, he's been called up to the bench a few times. I think yeah. all the conference league games, pretty much, he's been on the bench with the senior side. Uh, yeah, you know, he's he's growing really well. He's training with the first team regularly. Uh, he's also been captaining the Primavera recently, I think, for like the past four or five games. He scored a goal last time out or a couple weeks ago. So, yeah, he's he's doing great, man. He's doing great. Give give the kid some time. He's a he's a teenager, man. He'll be fine. I think the outlook is still the same. Oh, yeah. I think he's still expected to be one of the next stars coming through. I don't know if he'll even make it on loan. It, it's weird. I think he should have been on loan this past season uh, or even going from January to June, but the club has differing opinions there. So he's uh, at this point, you know, doing what he's doing, but the outlook is still the same. I think he's going to probably within the next year or two going to uh, have a, a very serious 
uh, role with inside of the organization and, and having an opportunity to get some starting minutes. Yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly. Uh, just going to add that he looks, I think part of why he hasn't gone on loan is because Italiano probably wants to keep a close eye on him because Krostep looks like a perfect Italiano defender. Uh, as a former midfielder, he's really good on the ball. He's got a tremendous range of passing. He loves carrying the ball forward as well. And he's really comfortable stepping way, way out of the defensive line to pressure strikers and mark tightly, which has been something that Italiano wants his defenders to do. That that said, though, a team that had a that would invest in a very good scouting team, uh, a, gr- a group of scouts, people who are out in in the uh, um, uh, in the league going from place to place could actually keep an eye on him for him and actually allow him to get some minutes and develop and, and real game time there. So I, I think that honestly, that is a miss with inside of the club. Uh, we, we need to invest not only in our own scouts for other players, but also to allow somebody like Crosstep to, to get some minutes uh, in game time situations yeah, I mean, he's he's definitely ready for setting a B, I would I would imagine. Yeah, so I think, I, I think that I, I do think that that's a miss and I get what you're saying. And I, I agree. He is the perfect fit, but he's not going to get the minutes that would justify keeping him here. No. I, yeah, that's fair. I mean, I'm, I'm happy letting him develop if he's getting close tutelage from Italiano, but I'd be equally happy letting him, uh, you know, mix it up with the with the adults in Serie B. Uh, tell you what, man, let's take this on to the next one. Uh, favorite Hanukkah candle. So I should preface this by saying I am not Jewish. I don't know a lot about Hanukkah. I only know the name of one Hanukkah candle, so that's the one I'm going to name. Uh, and it's the ninth <laughs> one, the Shamash, the hel- the helper candle. Uh, and I don't know, man. Like I like being a helper, so yeah, sure. I'll, I'll go there. Yeah. yeah. So, so my wife is Jewish. Uh, I have two sons that are raised Jewish and, and uh, a daughter who's Catholic. And then our daughter together is being raised both. So uh, we will be doing uh, Hanukkah for the first night tomorrow. We'll have everybody down. Uh, every night we do light the candles. I, I don't know the names of any of the candles. I, I just know it's uh, always a great fun uh, but as as a, a Catholic who used to light the candles in church, I was always worried that I'd be reaching over one and burn my hand. So that was something that I've uh, actually grown past at this point. So I feel a little bit more comfortable with all the candles in my house because between the main uh, Hanukkah and and uh, three children who each have them, that's a lot of candles in our house at that point. So it, it gets scary. All right, and uh, I guess the the last one for uh, for Hasanka here is the the budget, the reinvestment. I'm guessing that we've seen uh, again. You're you're the yeah. financial guy, man. What uh what are your thoughts here? Well, I, I think the optimist would say exactly what you said earlier, and that it's inside of the Central Sportivo, not like in a vault, but it's uh, invested in the Central well, Sportivo. Maybe in a vault. I mean, have have we? Do we have any definitive proof that it's not in a vault? This is this is turning into a national treasure conversation uh, over in Florence here. But uh, now I, I, I highly doubt that Rocco does not let his money go anywhere that he can't see. It's it's an Italiano and, and Krostev situation. Um, you know, I, I I I think this does go back to Rocco's health. I think this goes back to the treatment of Rocco by fans. Um, and I'm not saying that it was unjustly, you know, fans have every right. And I think that most of the criticism was very founded in facts and, and uh, actualities, except for the personal attacks on him and his family. And, and certainly the the clown um, pictures that you see um, sometimes on signs and, and certainly on social media. Uh, I, I think that what you see here at this point is uh, Rocco deciding that what he had planned, which was an investment in infrastructure and players, uh, is no longer a sound investment because he's not invested in it himself from a uh, from a cheering standpoint. Now, is he at the games? Yes, absolutely. So let's not take that away from him. But, you know, going to the games versus investing 100 million. And, and I don't know if I believe that it's 100 million euros on, on the Central Sportivo. Yes, you know. Uh, costs of goods have gone up. I mean, I work in, in an industry. I, I understand how this all works. But uh, Rocco does not strike me as a person who's going to be change ordered 
based off of the cost of raw materials going up. Uh, he's the type of person who's going to hold somebody to the contract that was signed. So um, I, I, I am surprised that uh, people keep going back to the money that's out there, you know, 40 to 65 million euros. Uh, it really is 45 to 65 million euros, depending on how accounting's done. Um, being invested into Detential Sportivo, personally, I, I I don't see it being reinvested into the club. Uh, I, I don't think you'll ever see it again. I, I think that it's just now an absorption cost. And, and some of those fees, keep in mind, are also agent fees, salaries that go into it, uh, and you know, commissions, all those wonderful things that that uh, are tucked into uh, contracts that Fiorentina does pay, despite all of the uh, uh, controversies of years past. Um, we do pay them, you know, and, and we pay considerable fees, which typically tend to be about 10 million, 10 million plus uh, of, uh, of additional costs. So some of the, the money naturally goes away, but I think others is definitely being absorbed into the club. Uh, yeah, what you said, I think I'm, I'm completely with you there, man. Yeah. Uh, Producer Mike, you got anything else for us? Last question from Mike R. Who would win in a fight between Ciprian Tatarushanu and Jakub Blazikowski? Uh, can, can I just ask, what is there a reason why this question is, is, is there a history here? What, what What's the premise? Uh, Mike R. was not a fan of how I produ- uh, pronounce long names, but jokes on him, Eastern European is right up my wheelhouse. Ah, okay. Oh, it's funny you should say that because uh, Fiorentina currently has three Brazilians. Uh, so if you wouldn't mind uh, giving me full names for Igor, uh, Arthur Cabral, and Dodo, I would be delighted. No, thank you. Well, uh, I mean, if you would prefer not to, I guess I guess we're uh, we're pretty much out here. Uh Thanks, producer Mike. Thanks, everyone, for the questions. And uh, yeah, happy holidays. We'll see y'all next time. Viola Station is hosted by Mike and Tito. Producer Mike produced this episode. Our theme song is Great Catch by Windchime Weather. Check them out at windchimeweather.bandcamp.com. Viola Station is the podcast from violanation.com. Viola Nation is part of the SB Nation Network. Forza Viola. Podcast Network.